Hello and welcome to another podcast of Indigenous Roots and Hoots, produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Indigenous Roots and Hoots is about Indigenous people and culture, past and present, success stories and inspiring stories about Indigenous people and what they are doing today. Whether it's arts, music, sports, business, education, and so on, Indigenous people are affecting positive change in their communities throughout Canada. Our aim is to create a better understanding about Indigenous people to help bridge the gap of understanding for the reconciliation process in Canada to grow. Today, my guest is Alex Flaherty from Ekaluit, Nunavut. Alex was raised in Greasefjord, Nunavut. Greasefjord, the most northern community in Canada, is home to some of the most spectacular landscapes small, hospitable population of less than 200. Alex's grandparents who were relocated from Northern Quebec to the high Arctic in the 1950s, had to adapt and to learn how to hunt in the harsh conditions. This became a way of life for relocated Inuit in the tightly knit community of Greasefjord. Growing up hunting and camping with his father and extended family, Alex developed a passion for the outdoors at a very young age. Alex graduated from the Unicode Arctic College Environmental Technology Program in 2008. In 2017, Alex started his own business, Polar Outfitting. Alex enjoys working with children and youth, particularly teaching them the hunting skills and land-based literacy necessary to adapt and survive in the Arctic. In February 2019, Polar Outfitting won the top Aboriginal Business of the Year Award at the Arctic Indigenous Investment Conference. In January of that same year, Polar Outfitting represented Nunavut at the New York Times Travel Show, which featured nearly 500 exhibitors, representing more than 150 countries around the world. Alex believes in the importance of sharing his knowledge and skills of hunting, fishing, and trapping to Inuit and non-Inuit in Nunavut. He also believes that his culturally relevant and place-based teaching and learning approach, which draws on Inuit traditional knowledge and a lifetime of lived experiences in harsh conditions, is key to surviving in the Arctic. Polar outfitting is success is due to large part to Alex's deep sense of pride in his Inuit culture and language, and his keen passion for the beautiful outdoors of Nunavut. Well, hello, Alex, and welcome to uh, Indigenous Roots and Hoots podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Okay. You were uh, raised in Greasefjord, which is the most northern community in Canada. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like living there and... Uh, I know like in some of the winter months, it's 24-hour darkness. That must be difficult and challenging for many people to live in those conditions. Yeah, for me, it was the most amazing place to grow up, especially if you're a young kid that was raised to be outdoors. It's an excellent place where hunting. The scenery is spectacular. The community really pitches in and uh, raises each kid as their own. So it's a very, very strong connection with the community and all the individuals. So for me growing up in the most Northern community, 
it was just natural for me to wanting to have a career in the outdoor field. And it was an amazing place to grow up. What kind of animals would be in that area? So we have a lot of seals. We have muskox, ptarmigans, rabbits, uh, foxes, do a little bit of trapping, lots of polar bear. And then you have your seasonal hunting, which is uh, narwhal or beluga. There's a lot of wildlife. Yeah, it's for sure. An untouched scenery up there. So people only grab what they need, right? And they don't over harvest or waste any part of animals, which is what I learned is not to waste anything that comes from the land or anything from around us. Right. I guess that there's been a, uh, what do you call it, a, a moratorium on hunting caribou. Was there many caribou up in that area? Yeah, the moratorium for caribou is uh, very important for our future generation in order to establish a healthy population. There's a lot of concern, so the government representatives uh organizations all met together with local hunters and trappers organization and put a temporary ban on caribou hunting till they get the numbers sorted out once they got the numbers sorted out they established a quota for baffin island which is 250 caribou for uh 20 000 people in Nunavut, right on baffin island but that's all right that 250 caribou is still a lot of meat, but, you know, it's only beneficial to our kids and our future generations. Right. I know that caribou is an important staple part of your diet, and it must be uh, difficult for anyone to, you know, not have caribou for long periods of time. Uh, but you have other foods, and I think the management plan is, is good that you have one in place to to protect, you know, over harvesting and uh, uh, the caribou disappearing. My next question is, uh, you attended Arctic College and studied environmental technology and ended up working for the Nunavut government in the environmental division of fisheries and sealing. Tell us a bit what that job entailed. My passion for the outdoors again was, you know, I wanted to work outdoors or have somewhat of a good job that is seasonal and uh, get to spend some time outdoors and get paid for it. So I said, you know, I'm going to try apply for the college. I'm going to go for the environmental technology program, which is uh, based out of Iqaluit. So I attended that. And then out of 22 students, I was the only graduate of the whole class. And I then started working for uh, the government of Nunavut. When I worked for the government of Nunavut, I wanted to help design a program called the uh, NCAMP, which is a fishery development program led for Nunavut Mute by Nunavut Mute to uh, educate people about fisheries development, economic benefits, sustainability. When you look at it, we have a lot of fish everywhere on Baffin Island or on the mainland, in the Kuwaitan, but not a lot of these lakes have commercial quotas. 
So everybody likes to fish, but you can't sell the fish because there's no commercial quota on it. So you can't legally sell it outside the territory of Nunavut. So my goal was to go to a lot of communities that have potential and educate people on how to build your fisheries from scratch, from doing exploratory licensing, educating people, sampling char, and submitting your data to Department of Fisheries and Oceans. And my job was also a lot about research. I truly believe research is very important for us. The global climate is changing and there's nothing we could do to hide the changes or slow anything down. And we are seeing the rates change a lot faster than anywhere else in the world in the Arctic. Our sea ice is melting. So then that's where I come in. I do a lot of research. I help researchers conduct their research in Nunavut. So a lot of research that I do is freshwater and uh, ocean-related research. Sounds like you spent a lot of time outdoors with that job. You decided to start your own business, which is called Polar Outfitting. How did that come about? And uh, tell us how that's going now. I was working for the government. And then I said, it's every young boy's dream in the Arctic to be a outfitter or a guide or somebody that wants to work outdoors. I'm going to take a chance and open up my business. I'm going to take all my savings. I'm going to buy a couple of boats. I'm going to buy some skidoos. And I was going to put everything on the line and start my own business called Polar Outfitting. So then I opened up the business when I still had a job with the government of Nunavut. And I had a real full-time job here where I was getting paid really good, treated very well traveling all over the north, educating people, meeting people all over the world, all over the place. And then I felt inside me that I had to take a chance. I had to take a chance in life where I was trying it out. I wanted to try it out. So I took that first step of the unknown ground. And then I said, here I am. I'm not in my government job anymore. I'm all alone. Now what? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, yeah, "Yeah." so I started, uh, you know, looking for jobs and the community really believed in me in the start, local people, government organizations, private companies. So I started getting a lot of work and then I went to my first trade show, which is an international trade show called Rendezvous. There's over 2,500 exhibitors all around the world where you have like a fast dating game and um, try to establish contacts all around the world. So I established a lot of contracts at that trade show. I gained a lot of partnerships with different travel related companies all around the world. And then that's when my business really took off. We started flying in a lot of people. I had my own booking agents doing all my bookings and stuff and you know, we were bringing in a lot of people up to the, the north, not just for me. We were sending people where they want to go, right? 
The north right. is a beautiful place. There's a lot to see. Right. Is that Envision Insight? Is that your uh, partner? Uh, that's one of the companies that I partner up with to bid on contracts. So right. I have a lot of different partners, depending on what kind of job we're trying to get or what kind of funding we're trying to get, that kind of stuff. So having yeah. partnerships in different sectors is very essential and uh, great for everyone. Wow, sounds like you took a chance and you've uh, become quite successful at your business called Polar Outfitting and uh, what you do in the north with outfitting, taking people out on the land, teaching people how to hunt and fish and trap. I guess that's part of it too. You mentioned you're talking about Rendezvous trade show. Is that the, is that the one in New York? New York no, uh, this is the... Rendezvous is dedicated for Canadians okay. all around Canada to bring in international buyers, wholesalers from all over the world. So yeah. people from all over the world would come and meet with different wholesalers and establish uh, contracts and uh, partnerships. And yeah. it's like a big dating game <laughs> where you have... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you have five minutes to sell your packages. If not, the bell's yeah. gonna ring, and then you move on to the next person. Is that right? Well, so you have to be really talkative and sell your packages. Is you got five minutes? Because it only takes two minutes to sell your packages once you talk to someone, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Do you also like take people out on the land? Like, uh, let's say. Uh, a family or, you know, a group of people went up north and they wanted to experience some time on the land. Do you do that sort of stuff as well? Yeah, for me, my specialty is education, right? There's a lot of people that can't afford to go out on the land because everything is so expensive now. Snowmobiles, lumber, commodities, boats, motors, hunting equipment. You know, these things are not cheap, right? So a lot of people, youth or elders or people in the community cannot afford to go out. So I apply for funding from different organizations, government organizations, to be able to take people out on a regular basis, to be able to establish their connection with the land, with our people, with programs. So we do a lot of tool making, take people out educate them about the land and our resources and make the best of life. Right. Yeah, I guess uh, not everybody has a skidoo or, you know, uh, the tools to go out on the land and experience, you know, living on the land or hunting or fishing. In January 2019, you attended the New York Times travel show as a Nunavut business rep. Tell us a bit about this event and, and how did it go for you? This event, it's huge. You're in the biggest city in the world and uh, you have a lot of people coming by your booth and, you know, they see a picture of a polar bear and they'll be like, oh my God, that's a polar bear, right? That's the Arctic. So we drew a lot of attention because Arctic is the hot spot for tourism before COVID. It was a big economy, and then due to COVID, everything just basically shut down. Everything shut down. Nobody was coming in anymore. 
but we still ran a lot of different programs for our people in Nunavut. Good. Has it kind of opened up a little bit for you, or is it uh, still pretty quiet? No, it's still pretty quiet. I don't see it opening up anytime soon. Not to the level it was before, but we're taking this time right now to establish and create our packages better than before and have better resources, have a better team overall. And once it does open up, we'll have a stronger team to deliver this these packages. Right. I'm sure uh, once things get going again, you're going to be uh, quite busy. I'm sure a lot more people will be coming up to the Arctic. You know, as tourists, people want to see the Arctic. It's quite a fascinating place for many people around the world. And I'm sure you're going to be busy in the future. In February of 2019, you received the Top Aboriginal Business of the Year Award. How has that made a difference for you and your business? Receiving an award is always great. It brings attention to you, being recognized, your hard work, dedication is being recognized. But I would not be able to have done what I've done in my life without having my best friends all around me and working together as a team. So it's all about friendship, um, connections, to be able to be successful. You can't do anything in life if you're alone. You know, you need people on your side, treat them nice, treat yourself nice, and everything will go nice and smooth and the dots will start to connect. Sounds like a good way to live. You know, you treat people well. And I guess it's, you think that uh, sounds like something you learned from your culture as an Inuk person growing up, uh, you know, in your environment. You guys have to help each other to survive, I guess, right? Yeah, helping each other survive. You know, I grew up in the most northern community. So there's a lot of stuff that I didn't have accessible in uh, my younger days. So, when I moved to a bigger place such as Iqaluit, there's so many opportunities out there that I didn't have. And all these opportunities should be accessible to everybody all around the North, whether you're from a different community or not, you know, opportunities should be for everyone. Who were the biggest influences in your life? The biggest influence in my life was a person I met at a coffee place here in Iqaluit. I was a young person that didn't really know what I was going to do. But then I met this person, and then we started going hunting. And the next thing you know, he becomes a mentor for me and helps build who I am right now. So he really changed the way I was, who I was, the way I treated to other people. That's why I think he is a biggest influence, a biggest mentor. And having a mentor might sound a little odd, but everybody should have a mentor. Everybody should have somebody they look up to, to be able to ask any question, any time of the day, or help you heal yourself healing is a big part of who you are too and understanding who you are 
So having a mentor is very important for me. You mind sharing his name? Yeah, his name is Rossi Anamniriak. Okay. Rossi Anamniriak. This question is about reconciliation. Part of the work we do at the Legacy O Foundation is to try and educate the Canadian public about, you know, Indigenous peoples past and present and trying to bridge the gap of better understanding between Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people, especially, you know, uh, we're trying to bridge the gap of understanding so that non-Indigenous people have a better understanding about First Nations, Inuit, and Métis of this country. And uh, the work that we do is, you know, one of of a larger of a larger scale. I'm wondering, uh, and we ask this question to all our guests, what does reconciliation mean to you? And uh, what can people do to make this country a better place to live for all Canadians? That's sort of a hard question, right? What I do is I just keep smiling and I be kind to the next person right next to me. And hopefully that other person smiles on to the next person. And then, you know, hopefully we're all treated equally and uh, as one in our country. So having friendship and being kind and sharing your stories and knowledge is being proud of where you come from and knowing yourself and the people surrounding you with also the environment is a big part of everybody's life. Right. Yeah. I don't know how else to explain it, but we're all connected. We all live on the same planet. We all breathe the same air. We should all work together, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Well said. The last part of our podcast of Roots and Hoots is the, it's the part we call the Hoots part. It's the funny part. We like to ask our guests if they have a funny story or a joke to tell us to close this podcast off. I wonder if you have a funny story or a joke for us today. I'm sure there's funny moments in my life, but there's nothing really that comes to my mind. I just speak the truth, tell the truth. and Okay. That's I'm sure fine. there's a lot of funny stuff yeah. side, but I not think of anything right now. Okay. We've been talking to Alex Flaherty from Grease Fjord. Uh, Alex Flaherty is now living in Iqaluit. He has a business called Polar Outfitting. And on behalf of the Legacy Hope Foundation, I'd like to thank you, Alex, for coming on this podcast and doing this with us. You're an inspiring young Inuk entrepreneur. Thank you, Gord. Uh, thank you for the interview. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Roots and Hoots is produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. For more podcasts like this, please visit our website at legacyofhope.ca.